Chapter Four of Virgin Soil, Volume One, by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Sipiagin had scarcely crossed the threshold when Parklin leapt up from his chair and, rushing up to Neshtanov, began to congratulate him. "Well, you have made a fine catch," he declared, giggling and tapping with his feet. "Why, do you know who that is? Sipiagin. Everyone knows him. A kamerher." a pillar of society of a sort, a future minister. I know absolutely nothing of him, Neshdanov declared sullenly. Paklin threw up his arms in despair. That's just our misfortune, Alexei Dmitrich, that we know no one. We want to produce an effect, we want to turn the whole world upside down, but we live outside that world. We only have to do with two or three friends and go revolving in a narrow little circle. I beg your pardon, interposed Neshtanov. That's not true. We only don't care to consort with our enemies. But as for men of our own stamp, as for the people, we are continually entering into relations with them. Stay, 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 Parklin in his turn interposed. In the first place, as for enemies, let me remind you of Goethe's lines. Wir den Dichter viel verstehen, muss ihm Dichters Lande gehen. But I say, Wer die Feinde will verstehen, muss in Feindes Land gehen. To avoid one's enemies, not to know their manners and habits, is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Yes, yes. If I want to shoot a wolf in the forest, I have to know all his holes. Secondly, you talked just now of entering into relations with the people. My dear soul, in 1862 the Poles went into the forest, and we are going now into the same forest. That's to say, to the people, who are just as dark and obscure to us as any forest. Then what's to be done, according to you? The Hindus fling themselves under the wheels of Juggernaut, Paklin went on gloomily. It crushes them, and they die, in bliss. We too have our Juggernaut. It crushes us indeed, but gives us no bliss. Then what do you say is to be done? Nezhdanov repeated almost with a shriek. Write novels with a tendency, or what? Parklin flung wide his arms and bent his head towards his left shoulder. Novels, in any case, you could write, since you have a literary turn. There, don't be angry, I won't. I know you don't like one to refer to it. Besides, I agree with you. Spinning out that sort of work with padding and all the newfangled phrases, too. Ah, I love you, she bounded. It's nothing to me, he grated. It is anything but a lively job. That's why I repeat, form ties with all classes, from the highest downwards. We mustn't rest all our hopes on fellows like Ostrodomov. They're honest, excellent fellows, but then they're dense, dense. Just look at our worthy friend. Why, the very soles of his boots aren't what clever people wear. Why, what made him go away from here just now? He didn't like to remain in the same room, to breathe the same air as an aristocrat. I must ask you not to speak slightingly of Ostrodomov before me. Neshtanov interposed emphatically. He wears thick boots because they're cheaper. I did not mean, Paklin was beginning. If he doesn't care to remain in the same room with an aristocrat, Neshtanov continued, raising his voice, I applaud him for it. But the great thing is he knows how to sacrifice himself. He will face death if need be, which you and I will never do. Paklin made a piteous little grimace and pointed to his wasted, crippled little legs. He's fighting in my line, my friend Alexei Dmitrich. Good heavens! But never mind all that. I repeat, I'm heartily glad of your connection with Mr. Sipiagin, and I even foresee great advantages from that connection, for our cause. 
you will get into a higher circle you will see those lionesses those women of velvet body worked by springs of steel as it says in the letters from spain study them my dear boy study them if you were an epicurean i should be positively afraid for you upon my word i should but that's not your object in taking such an engagement of course i am taking an engagement nezhdanov caught him up for the sake of bread and butter and to get away from all of you for a time he added to himself to be sure to be sure and so i say to you study them what a perfume that gentleman has left behind him parklin sniffed with his nose in the air it's the veritable ambre that the mayoress dreamed of in the revisor he questioned prince g about me nezhdanov muttered thickly taking up his position again at the window he probably knows my whole story now not probably but certainly what of it i'll bet you it was just that that gave him the idea of taking you as a tutor say what you like you're an aristocrat yourself by blood you know and of course that means you're one of themselves but i've stayed too long with you it's time i was at the office at the exploiters good-bye for the present my dear boy parklin was going towards the door but he stopped and turned round listen alyosha he said in an ingratiating tone you refused me just now you will have money now i know but still allow me to make some sacrifice however trifling for the common cause there's no other way i can help so let me at least with my purse look i put a ten-rouble bill on the table is it accepted nishtanov made no answer and did not stir silence gives consent thanks cried parklin joyfully and he disappeared Nishtanov was left alone. He went on staring through the window-pane into the dark, narrow court, into which no ray of sunshine fell even in summer, and dark too was his face. Nishtanov was the son, as we are already aware, of Prince G, a rich adjutant-general, and one of his daughter's governess, a pretty institute girl who had died on the day of his birth. Nishtanov had received his early education at a boarding-school from an able and strict Swiss schoolmaster, and afterwards had gone to the university. He had himself wished to study law, but the general, his father, who detested the nihilists, had made him enter in aesthetics, as with a bitter smile Nezhdanov used to put it, that is, in the faculty of history and philology. Nezhdanov's father had been in the habit of seeing him only three or four times a year, but he took an interest in his welfare, and when he died bequeathed him, in memory of Nastenka, his mother, a sum of six thousand roubles, the interest of which was paid him by way of a pension by his brothers, the prince's g parklin had not been wrong in describing him as an aristocrat everything in him betrayed good birth his little ears hands and feet the delicate but rather small features of his face his soft skin his fluffy hair even his rather mincing but musical voice he was terribly nervous terribly self-conscious impressionable and even capricious the false position in which he had been put from his very childhood had made him irritable and quick to take offence but his inborn magnanimity had saved him from becoming suspicious and distrustful. This same false position of Nezhdanov's was the explanation of the contradictions to be met in his character. Daintily clean and fastidious to squeamishness, he forced himself to be cynical and coarse in his language. An idealist by nature, passionate and chaste, bold and timid at the same time, he was as ashamed of his timidity and of his purity as of some disgraceful vice, and made a point of jeering at ideals. His heart was soft, and he shunned his fellows. He was easily enraged, and never harboured ill-feeling. He was indignant with his father for having made him study aesthetics. 
ostensibly as far as anyone could see he took interest only in political and social questions and professed the most extreme views in him there were more than a form of words secretly he revelled in art poetry beauty in all its manifestations he even wrote verses he scrupulously concealed the book in which he scribbled them and of all of his friends in petersburg only Paklin, and that solely through the intuition peculiar to him suspected its existence nothing so deeply offended so outraged neshtanov as the faintest allusion to his poetical compositions to that as he considered unpardonable weakness thanks to his swiss schoolmaster he knew a good many facts and was not afraid of hard work he even worked with positive fervor though rather spasmodically and irregularly his comrades loved him they were attracted by his uprightness of character his goodness and purity but neshtanov had been born under no lucky star life did not come easily to him he was deeply conscious of this himself and he knew he was lonely in spite of the devotion of his friends he still stood at the window thinking thinking mournfully and drearily of the journey before him of the new unexpected turn in his life he did not regret leaving petersburg he was leaving nothing in it specially precious to him besides he knew he would return in the autumn and still a mood of dread and doubt came over him he felt an involuntary dejection a nice teacher i shall make crossed his mind a fine sort of schoolmaster he was ready to reproach himself for having undertaken the task of education and yet such a reproach would have been unjust neshtanov possessed a fair amount of knowledge and in spite of his uneven temper children were at ease with him and he too readily grew fond of them the depression which came upon neshtanov was that feeling preceding every change of place that feeling known to all melancholy all brooding natures to people of a bold sanguine character it is unknown they are rather disposed to rejoice when the daily routine of life is broken up when their habitual surroundings are changed neshtanov became so deeply absorbed in his meditations that by degrees almost unconsciously he began translating them into words the emotions passing over him were already ranging themselves into rhythmic cadences oh the devil he cried aloud i do believe i'm on the high road to a poem he shook himself turned away from the window catching sight of parklin's ten-rouble note lying on the table he thrust it in his pocket and set to walking up and down the room i must take an advance he mused to himself a good thing this gentleman offers it a hundred roubles and from my brothers from their excellencies a hundred roubles fifty for debts fifty or seventy for the journey and the rest for ostrodomov and what Parklin gives, he can have too. And we shall have to get something from Merkulov too. Even while he was making these calculations in his head, the same cadences were again astir within him. He stopped, fell to dreaming, and his eyes fixed on the distance, he stood rooted to the spot. Then his hands, gropingly as it were, felt for and opened a drawer in the table and drew out from the very bottom of it a manuscript book. He sank onto a chair, his eyes still turned away, took up a pen, and humming to himself, at times shaking back his hair, with much blotting and scratching out, he set to tracing line after line. The door into the anteroom was half opened, and Mashurina's head appeared. Nishtanov did not notice her, and went on with his work. Long and intently Mashurina gazed upon him, and with a shake of her head to right and left, drew back but neshtanov all at once drew himself up looked round and exclaiming with vexation oh you he flung the book into the table drawer then mashurina advanced with a firm step into the room 
ostrodomov sent me to you she observed jerkily to find out when you can get the money if you can let us have it today we will start this evening today i can't rejoined neshtanov and he frowned come tomorrow at what o'clock two o'clock very well mashurina was silent for a little all at once she held out her hand to neshtanov i think i interrupted you forgive me and besides i'm just going away who knows whether we shall meet again i wanted to say good-bye to you neshtanov pressed her chilly red fingers you saw that gentleman here he began we came to terms i am going to him as a tutor his estate is in s province near s itself a rapturous smile flashed across mashurina's face near s then perhaps we shall see each other again they may possibly send us there mashurina sighed ah alexey dmitrich what inquired neshtanov mashurina assumed a concentrated look never mind good-bye never mind once more she pressed neshtanov's hand and retreated and in all petersburg there is no one cares for me like that queer creature was neshtanov's thought but why need she have interrupted me it's all for the best though the following morning neshtanov betook himself to sipiagin's town residence and there in a magnificent study filled with furniture of a severe style in full harmony with the dignity of a liberal politician and modern gentleman he sat before a huge bureau on which lay in orderly arrangement papers of no use to anyone beside gigantic ivory knives which never cut anything for a whole hour he listened to the liberal-minded master of the house and was immersed in the smooth flood of his clever affable condescending words at last he received a hundred roubles in advance and ten days later the same neshtanov half reclining on a velvet sofa in a reserved first-class compartment beside this same clever liberal politician and modern gentleman was being carried to moscow on the jolting lines of the nikolavsky railway End of chapter four